Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality, and wellness on this sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates, and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts, to heal ourselves, and to honor our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer, and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers. So we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate, and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. Welcome to season two. Oh my gosh, we are here. How are you? I am well and blessed and I am so happy to be back here with you. It feels so good to get back on the mic. I've literally missed the weekly ritual of sharing and uploading these conversations and hearing all of your comments as you engage with them and integrate all of the goodness that comes. So we are back for another round. And as promised, there are a few changes to the format. So the episodes are shorter. Each guest will span across two episodes and I'll be releasing them on Wednesdays and Sundays. I've also been so blessed to have some more support on the production. So I'm really hoping you'll hear that too. And lastly, I'll be giving you more tools, more practices and more real life applications that relate to each of the themes that are being raised each week. Um, as always, I'd love to hear how you find the changes. I'm really excited to bring you this first conversation and it's with none other than the powerhouse that is Yoli Maya. Yay! I literally feel there needs to be a drum roll for that. <laughs> um, so who is Yoli? Yoli Maya Yay. So first of all, what a name. I think I will not tire from saying Yoli Maya Yay another several times in this introduction. But Yoli Maya Yay is a yoga and shiatsu therapist. She's an educator in comparative religious and global studies. And she works at the intersection of indigenous preservation, healing arts and social justice. She's been raised in her family's Native American spiritual teachings, and she spent 12 years studying language, yoga, tantra, healing arts, and meditation in India. She blends her understandings of indigenous wisdom teachings, mind-body science, yogic discipline, and play into fascinating learning programs for all. 
So I first connected with Yoli at a virtual conference where we were both speaking and I knew I needed to bring her on here to share some of her gems with you all. She keeps things so real and her energy is contagious. I was so engrossed in Yoli's story of her life that I swear I forgot I was even recording this podcast. I was just so engrossed. Um, So yeah, we just go where it takes us. In this first part of the conversation, we go in on Yoli's journey, her actual studies of the traditional paths, and learn how motherhood and a healing crisis led her to become her own patient and really forced her to make some drastic choices. I really hope you enjoy. Welcome, Yoli, to the Soul Mama podcast. I am so grateful that you're here. I came across you first through a mutual friend, Uma Dinsmortuli, who is a beloved teacher of mine as well. And we were recently on a online sister circle where we were speaking through yoga and how it shows up in the community and just hearing you speak just a little bit of your journey. And I knew right then, I have to bring her onto the podcast. I have to. I have to hear more of this story. So welcome. How are you? I'm good. It's morning here and I just got to lead a yoga class with a group of teens and they're just my absolute favorite age group, actually. The ones that like nobody wants to deal with. I just love them to death. To me, that age really represents resistance, but also paired with energy. There's so much curiosity and there's so much vivacity around like what's real what's true and there's an openness and dialogue that I think a lot of us lose when we get more tired and and more old and more kind of and it might be that like when you're a parent of a teenager like especially if we're having kids later then yeah your stamina and your ability to respond as their vigor grows um my formula with that crew is you just keep it real you just you do you and you keep it real and they will park up because at first they're going to ignore you you know and and then if you just do you and you hold that they will respond and they'll get curious so i wondered for the listeners who haven't come across your work if you could just give a little overview how you would describe yourself and your work and what you do right now yes so every day I'm trying to keep it smaller (laughs) (laughs) my work right now really has evolved to um, I'm holding this intersection of indigenous way healing arts and social justice Mm. and um I'm, I'm into my, my third decade now. Uh, I, I started my path of learning and stewardship, apprenticeship in healing arts and in my family's um, native tradition very early, formally at age 13. Um, and it, it was just wow. a hop, skip, and a jump later that I, I started interacting with um, Vajrayana Tantra and and yoga meditation and just feeling the synergy, feeling this power in comparative work. And very early on discovering that there was a type of restoration work. Now I can look at it and say, wow, that's that's restorative justice. Like that's embodied restorative justice work right there, where taking indigenous traditions, comparing and contrasting them 
restoring elements that have been lost and then through the the power of that conversation of those traditions reclaiming and preserving the embodied practices that are so necessary including ritual in including Mm. body movement reflection meditation prayer affirmation whatever it is especially creative processes processes that allow us to do transformative work um, so I also have a clinical healing practice where I specialize with um, all things womanly, um, youth, and then um, unexplainable diseases, chronic conditions, autoimmune, um, untreatable conditions, you know, where people have basically gone through a gauntlet of health and medicine practitioners and, and nobody knows how to help them. Um, and that was an, a specialization that just emerged from my um, yoga therapy practice with my first ever client, which was an unexplainable, untreatable condition. I said, well, we're just going to walk this transformative journey. We're going to use this yogic science and the technology of this body. We're going to walk this journey. And wow, fireworks and discovery along the way. So this is my 20th year of, of a yoga therapy and hands-on bodywork practice. Um, nowadays, I like to practice in a shiatsu, in an East Asian style, but drawing from mm-hmm. South Asian tantric, you know, indigenous traditions as well. I call it um, the beauty way, which is inspired by the, the Navajo Diné concept that when we are in our health and alignment, our harmony than we are walking in beauty and and that that's the goal and i just love that as a descriptive measure i I love it in its sort of inherent femininity and softness and receptivity that you know the the goal is this harmony this resonance of healing then our inner beauty shines forth and that just seems like the most beautiful antidote to the body shame complex and the consumer capitalist complex. And then as we bring in that social justice piece, that anti-racism piece of the complete disregard for the value of life. And that is the heart of the crisis that we're experiencing. So I'm here in in Chicago, which is the first Mm -hmm. suburb north of Chicago called Evanston, Illinois. And if, if there was any summary that I would give on this extreme crisis that we're experiencing in America right now that has been accelerated by um, the presence of, of COVID-19 in its pandemic form, um, it is the exposure of the complete disregard for the value of human life. And so our practice then needs to reflect the reclaiming of the precious human birth you know that this endowment of this body technology that we receive is our birthright and the endowment of the multiple generations that have walked before and the ones that will also be in the future like that's our wealth and then our Mm -hmm. practices whether they be with another person like in my healing practice in my clinic or how I guide people through their own 
experiences through yoga, yoga nidra, self-reflection, therapeutic movement, the act of of radical self-love that is the antidote to the body terrorism. And and that's the thesis of Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body is Not an Apology, this amazing um, resource that that I just immersed myself in a, a few weeks ago that really just helped me frame this moment as an as an embodied practitioner and one who guides people in yogic spiritual world and work but also the restorative justice work and restorative justice work was always the domain of spiritual work Mm. actually the, the places where you found restorative justice tools were almost exclusively in religious and spiritual settings before they became the domain of ministry or lawyers. Mm-hmm. Seriously, there is so much <laughs> in that introduction. That, that was so rich. I'm going to have to pull it back just a little bit, right? I, know. I can't roll any other way. I just can't do it. <laughs> all the way deep, which is great. This is where we need to be. But just bringing that concept back, you know, the, the idea that we are embodying an experience of this physical reality and there are certain constructs in which there are perceived restrictions, there are perceived um, obstacles, there are perceived systems that are having real and damaging effects on people of colour specifically in this scenario. Um, And then there is the kind of esoteric, yogic, spiritual oneness that a lot of people find really frustratingly bypassing and gaslighting um and it seems like you can't hold space for both like either you're in the oneness camp where everything is fine and butterflies and bliss or you're in the life is hard and we need to fight the system where is the intersection between living this embodied beauty when you're living in a reality that is doing its darndest to prove that isn't the case. Speak a little bit about that tension and about how you found a harmony and a pathway through that. This is some of the most critical work uh, of this moment um, for those of us you know, that hold space and who are knowledge holders of yoga and meditation and healing arts. And, because the, the bridge, you know, when you're talking about that tension and like, how do we resolve those two things? The bridge is healing justice. Right. And what were the disease is self-hypnosis. So whatever you tell this mind, it believes. It's amazing. And so if you tell yourself that oneness narrative Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over again, and coupled with you are probably the majority uh, typecast person who holds the center space in spiritual settings, which is white women and then the ones who hold the authority still are white men. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at who does the trainings, who, and I mean the wellness world also, mm-hmm. um, that there are far more white men in the trainer instructor role mm. than white women. But when you look at the consumer imprint right. and like business ownership, in the industry, you'll see the center being held by white women, all affluent, mm-hmm. right? And so what they then are also not seeing is that their white 
privilege allows them to imprint the oneness narrative because they don't have the same systems of harm and oppression that are constantly disenfranchising their lived experience in the world. So they don't walk down the street and get called out by the police in the same way. They don't get followed around in a store. They don't get disadvantaged in a hiring process Mm -hmm. or a housing buying or renting process or a car buying process. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's every system everywhere. And so there's, they have an advantaging because of white privilege to assume the oneness paradigm. Yoga is tens of thousands of years old, and yoga is also a global technology. Mm -hmm. It's a global software. It did not only evolve in South Asia. Represent on the South Asian yogic lineage and and its diaspora and our South Asian family that is reclaiming their roots of of yoga through their decolonization practice i am 100 percent in support of but the thesis that i present of a decolonized yoga is global indigenous based that cultures all around the world came up with these technologies at similar times Mm -hmm. and it's actually not exclusive to the south asian continent it's it's a side note but it's a back note just like you said we both need to to be a support but we also need to call out that even there's an exclusivity even within reclaiming yoga as only a south asian origin practice Mm -hmm. but you gotta know what you're talking about you have to own it, embody it, live it to say that. So I'm only speaking from my lived experience, which is why I feel confident in what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm also not solely speaking from an academic perspective. I can because I'm also an academic scholar, but knowing that that in itself is also colonized. So this is my question then. That describes the narrative and the experience of the white woman in in that space who holds the center, who permeates this level of of oneness and kind of blind unity and has the privilege to not necessarily have to embody that because they've never not been in a place of being centered, right? But then as the person of color who's coming into the wellness space, either through yoga or through some other kind of healing arts or modalities, and realizing that this is the landscape, this is another space of colonization, of reappropriation, of capitalist values. How do we weave a path where we're embodying the things, taking on the knowledge, trying to uh, find our way back to the practices that once were ours, if we're going back, back. Um, yes, absolutely. And reclaiming that in a way that doesn't then feel counterintuitive to the realities that we face ourselves in, in the world, you know, in the systemic world. Yeah. And that's really a great question. My personal journey with it, it just came to a roadblock. And, and I, I didn't see it coming, but it was actually like POC friends and colleagues that helped me see it where they were like, Yoli, don't, don't you see that like 
these people are no longer interested in taking teachings from you. The more you call out the injustice, the more you call out the indifference and the inequality, the less they're choosing you to be the teacher to come into the space. So I literally got kicked out. (laughs) So my experience was... I was welcome because I was exotified and I drank from the fountain's origin. You know, I I lived in India for 12 years. I practiced in like an extremely authentic way and all the traditions and all the boxes checked and something really quite sort of fringe and and attractive to people, this tantric world, this (laughs) yogic world, this world of you know, yoginis and goddesses and masters of meditation and miracle. I got to tell you, I didn't set out to do that. I wanted to read books right. and translate books because books were mm. safe. But all those yogis and sadhus and mads, I had to laugh when I ended up in the world. You know, I was like, oh my God, this is so silly. But it was home. It was a bunch of scoundrels and pirates. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm a pirate. Right? And so... When I came back to the West, I just kept it niche because I was very much avoiding the mainstream. And then I found myself in the last few years um, in the mainstream because that white body complex wanted my knowledge and wanted to appropriate it for their gain and their centering and their continued empowerment. And then I started having one negative experience after another and those negative experiences grew and they increased and they became more and more harmful. And then it was actually traveling and collaborating um, with Mm. Uma on her North American tours. You know, she would never admit this herself, but her sort of celebrity brought us into these, you know, million and billion dollar spaces where I just, it was just like rotten just everywhere. But these are like the big names and the big people and then the big settings and, you know, what everyone aspires towards. And they couldn't kick me out fast mm. enough, you know, and, and in really mean and rude ways, you know, like just blatant racist acts. I had to come to the understanding that I needed to really embody that activism, that healing justice and restorative justice activism and take the knowledge that I was hoarding. I had to call myself Mm -hmm. in. You know, like this call out culture that's so damaging, Mm -hmm. but no, it's it's actually call out, Mm -hmm. call in. I made a series of public posts. They're all on my website. You can Mm -hmm. see them now. And my mom told me they were manifestos. I was like, that makes me (laughs) cool. Thank you, mom. And so I wrote these manifestos and I publicly called myself in to that I was knowledge hoarding. I'm sitting on the indigenous knowledge. I'm sitting on our people's knowledge and I'm trying to give it to these white folks. They don't even want it. You know, they want the stuff in their likeness so that they can keep their facades going and they just want to stay in their fake bliss you know, they don't want the real stuff. They don't want the transformative stuff. And so I, I had to then say, okay, first things first, I'm going to come up off this mm-hmm. vault of knowledge. But who I'm going to center in that work is going to be Black, Brown, Indigenous mm-hmm. people of color, people of the margins, 
people who've been silenced. And I'm going to challenge myself to step in to the work and get comfortable in spaces that are not a part of my identity. I'm not queer, but I want to make sure that I am an embodied mm-hmm. ally in the advocacy of LGBTQIA plus yeah. spaces. And I'm not the teacher in right. those spaces, but I can be a, an embodied ally. I can be in mm-hmm. action, you know, and I can be in action about being differently abled and visible, invisible uh, disabilities and, and so on mm. and so forth, you know? And so I'm, I'm clear on my identity and the space that I hold. And, and I'm also clear that I don't need to hold every space. I needed to a- apply myself with this knowledge that I was mm. hoarding and start sharing it in a way that got these tools into the hands of the people who are doing the transformative work. Healing justice is yeah. the what? Healing justice is what we want to do and what we want to engage. And that's our platform. Restorative justice is the how. And that led to what I did with my master's degree in comparative religious ethics and global studies. And I created co-creation with other scholars of a methodology of indigenous comparative work that centers indigenous voice and indigenous research Mm. methodologies aka oral tradition. To then bring that into an academic space and to validate and then you get that sense of do I even want to? Like why am I trying to label it or quantify it? Who's being centered? Where is the gaze? Who is the audience? And these questions have been so present for me on this journey, you know, uh, both of my own healing journey and coming into motherhood and really getting conscious to the responsibility that I had to, to forge a different path for my next generation, for my next lineage. And that there was a gap in knowledge, you know, a gap of, of knowing that there were things that were passed down, but somewhere along the line that has been missing. And so where do I go to find that information? Do I go to the white women who are, are selling me through a course, this information, or do I connect with the books and the people and the teachers that are coming from a more remembered place? you know, that might not have the degrees or the letters behind their name or the biggest Instagram celebrity followings, but they're speaking a truth in a way that I understand and it resonates with me. And that's been able to set the path for me to then speak my truth. Like what have I embodied and learned and, and mastered in my own short space in this, in this realm, you know? And so I really feel that, that transition and that shifting between you know, serving a community where you're trying to belong, but not really belonging, but then also realizing that there is a much deeper and wider need for communities who have been forgotten from the wellness world and the motherhood world and the spiritual world and the coaching world, and actually really, really need this technology. And so I wondered if you could speak without obviously being able to go into the depths of the work that you've done, but to signpost what some of those things are, the starting block for somebody coming into that journey. So you kind of gave us a, a, like a dichotomy there of like, we can go to the white women who have essentially appropriated these teachings, slapped ginormous price tags (laughs) onto Uh these trainings that they're not even professional certifications. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to even like actually use these to do anything with. So, I mean, 
it's a racket, like call it what it is. And then you gave us this other, you know, space. And I would say I kind of fall into that space because I haven't like published a book yet or, you know, have any sort of things. It's just really, I'm just doing this kind of down home grassroots work within my community and, and developing the experiential indigenous teaching methodology, Mm. you know, developing the transformative work and just running one educational experiment after the other. I also do the the community organizing work again at the grassroots level where we can affect policy and institution level change and 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 my place is is one of the incredible hotbeds in America for disenfranchisement of of people of color historically and to today. So I was like, yes, yes, obviously it's option B. So I want to throw out the third option which is you. Right your body and the library Mm. of wisdom that is housed within your body technology Mm. in all these infinite softwares some of them are dormant some of them are 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 running you know they're latent and then some of them are 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 more like fully functioning software that you're that you're drawing from on a daily operating basis and then is the immense library of knowledge that's housed in your DNA. So like learning how to tap into the cellular resonance. And then that, remember that's past and future. And then, you know what? There's even one more source. It's the universal Mm. library of knowledge. And so with enough practice, you can also learn how to download Mm. anything, which is great. Because then you have to keep less in here and you can kind of keep the mind free because you feel like you just dropped the keys to the kingdom, as they say. I I hear this, I feel this, it resonates so deeply. I want to know for you, how has that journey unfolded? Like what practices, what physical things, spiritual Mm -hmm. things, what have you done to be able to access that information from the cellular level, from the DNA? So I've done all the like traditional practices. I walked in the traditional footsteps in our, our uh, Seneca Wolf Clan tradition. And then I initiated into um, Nath Yoga Sampradai, Buddhist Nath Yoga Sampradai, which and both of those lineages were the last mm-hmm. of the lineages. So as a bridge person, I walked the traditional path of the past, which was the Gurukul system and the, the Guru practices and the empowerments and the this and that. And I got to tell you, that's game over. That game is right. done now. And we're already on to the new game, which is what I described before, which is the, it's within you, it's the self-guru, it's the self-led game. And so the practices that I did before were so that I learned the universal syllabus and structure of spiritual practice. Because see, where most people get caught up is in yes. specific lineage yes. pigeonholes. And so what I learned is the universal system. It encompassed all the systems that came before it. Now, I don't 
I don't practice under any lineage banners and I don't teach any lineage mm -hmm. teachings. I don't guide people in the way that I mm -hmm. practiced again, because that system is now officially mm -hmm. obsolete. That's why we're seeing the pillars fall amid scandal one lineage after another but i can honestly tell you both of my lineages ended up they're no more i could claim myself as a lineage holder but there's no because we're in a new paradigm anymore we're in a whole new paradigm and so like we well we should really be focusing on what the new paradigm, paradigm is right right and so the new paradigm is that that trifecta of healing justice restorative justice yes. transformative justice it's not stuck in semantics and academics and um theories which are all dominated by the eurocentric learning model which instantly makes mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. colonialist mm. and problematic right but instead what we're doing is like we're reaching back through the act of dreaming so that is where we're going to leave part one of this juicy conversation with Yoli Maya Tune in to the next episode dropping on Sunday for part two of this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to www.soulmamajourney.com for more resources, including the Soul Mama blog, the show notes to each episode with links and references to everything mentioned, and for more ways to work with me one-to-one. -one. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at soulmamacoach for more personal shares and updates, and you can email me at nahanda at soulmamajourney.com. I so love to hear from you. Share the love with your friends, family, and anyone who would benefit from listening to this. And if you could take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, wherever you've listened to it, that really helps more people to discover it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Stay blessed.